Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So we're talking through a series called The Pandemic of the Heart. And looking back at the reality that we walk through and how it's impacted and affected us, but I think it's also revealed some aspects of us. And what I want to think about today is the reality of isolation that many of us had to walk through. Replacement of embodied tangible community with digitized forms of connection. Went through a season in which schools, churches, places of work had to go remote. Weren't able to gather with friends and family. Community events were canceled. And even more sadly, many even had to die alone. And in the midst of this time, it seems that also the pandemic fanned the flames of division within our society, pitting us against each other, tribalizing around ideas, ideals, and demonizing the other. While the season was certainly harder for some than others, I think most of us coming out acknowledge that what we went through can't be the new normal. That the continue perpetually would not be healthy in the end. But see, as I look at that, I think that that's a good realization. And I think it's an important realization. I think maybe it's a hidden blessing, possibly. I don't know what's going to happen in the years to come of the pandemic. Because I think what the pandemic was, in reality, was a brief glimpse into the future reality we were already heading into as a society. We already were moving into more and more isolation, more and more division. We were already seeing traditional embodied communities, local communities, closing down and falling apart. Studies a few years prior to the pandemic in both the United States and the UK said that the majority of citizens replied that they are frequently lonely or feel alone. We've become more connected than ever, but it seems that our connections have become more superficial and more centered on niche affinities, consumer habits, or political dispositions than the people we're supposedly connected to. 
But I want to say that the, the trajectory we were heading on and, and, and the, the reality that was set in during the pandemic that we were thrust into is actually just the current iteration of something that goes further back. It goes way, way back. It goes a whole way back to the garden. If you look at the story of Adam and Eve, it depicts this reality of the fall, but we have to remember that they didn't fall just because they wanted to do bad things. Like Adam didn't fall because he wanted to drink beer and listen to rock music. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm no longer preaching to a Baptist context. That doesn't make sense to you, but it used to back in the day. People got that. Um, But no, it, it says that they fell because they weren't satisfied with being the creatures that God created them to be, and they needed to be more than what they were. They wanted to be like God. They sought autonomy. It says that through that, they were then severed from their true head, which is God. And then flowing out of that, you see immediately that division and animosity begins to happen between humanity. And so what we're seeing now is distinct and unique to our time in some ways, but it's also the same old story being told over and over and over again. But in our epistle lesson today, I think St. Paul powerfully depicts a reality that is a potent antidote to the ills of isolation and division that has poignantly plagued us recently. And I think he paints a vision of a community that runs counter to some of the assumptions that often drive us. And there is so much in this passage that I'm not going to even touch on even a, a bit of it. I just want to look at three areas within the passage to draw upon, to speak into our current moment. Those areas are maturity and the need for community, the source of community, and then the environment that fosters community. You look in your bulletins with me. I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in this passage, we have Paul speaking about this idea or concept of maturity. The Greek word for mature, that we translate maturity is the word teleon which comes from the root word of telos. That was a really important word in the first century. It's an important Greek word. Telos carries the idea of of the, the, the true nature and purpose of a thing, the ultimate end goal that is tied to its design or nature. I mean, we understand this idea of maturity as telos within nature quite frequently. I mean, an acorn has a telos. It's to become a full-grown, healthy oak tree, ingrained in that little nut. But its maturity, its telos, is actualizing what was in that nut. Now, if an acorn sprouted and a tree began to grow, but then that tree started getting pine needles on it, that'd be freaky. 
And you should probably cut down that tree and burn it. But, it, it because, but we would think of it as sickly, right? Unhealthy. Because even though it's growing, it's growing contrary to its telos. And I think this reminds us of something that is important, which is how we think about maturity deeply impacts and reflects how we think about our real nature and our real purpose. In the West, there's been a growing and long-time-running formulation of understanding of maturity that is, is, I think, very deeply entrenched and in many ways we often assume. And if you go back to the 18th century, there's a philosopher, Immanuel Kant, who was quite influential, and, and he argued that maturity was the movement from heteronomy to autonomy. Meaning a movement from rule of others being defined and, 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 and directed by others to autonomy, which is self-rule. Similarly, the early French, some of the early French romanticists had, had, a, very, had a very similar idea. The, the idea that you probably have heard to be true to thyself. That the ultimate trajectory that we should be seeking to move on is a trajectory of authenticity. And to be authentic means a rejection of what had come before, a rejection of the pressures and assumptions that are given to you by society, a rejection of the structures that often dictate who we are or what we are to be, so that then we can define ourselves and move to a place of authenticity, which means it comes from me from within. Or another dude who was a German thinker and philosopher, Nietzsche, described this trajectory or progress of humanity through three different figures, a camel, a lion, and an infant. Camel representing a, a beast of burden, a, this, this pack animal. The, the camel is what most humans are, where we just follow in with the system in the herd, that we are directed and governed by religion and institutions and society and everything else. But then we should move into becoming lions and tear the whole thing apart. Burn it to the ground. Rip it to shreds. But to not remain there, but so that then we can become infants and out of the ashes, define our own new reality. To be authentic. And I think these things and many others have created a mentality today of independence. That to be mature is to be fully independent, which means that you're self-sufficient. And autonomous. In which you are self-ruling, that you have to create your own values and your own code that you must then live by, that isn't imposed by others, and authentic. That somehow you need to become the real you, and the real you is the you that is somehow disconnected from past society, family, tradition, religion, or anything else that you need. You need to find yourself and live out of yourself from within yourself. And I don't think it's completely all bad. I mean, there's a need for some of these things. I want my boys to be somewhat self-sufficient. And sometimes we find ourselves in a sick tradition or a harmful family past. 
And it happens frequently because we're in a broken world. And so sometimes we do need to break free from those things. We still have to ask the question, where do we get this idea? You know, the idea that we must free ourselves from tradition, from, from the pressures of society. We must be true to ourselves from within ourselves and not imposed from, by anything outside of ourselves. Where did we get that idea? Probably from the circles that we run with. Because it's the moment that society is in. And from a long tradition that is growing and evolving of philosophical ideas. So kind of back at the same place again. And the reality is, is I don't think Christians are immune to this. But how Paul depicts maturity is radically different. So if in the passage that we read today, we see that maturity is not independence and autonomy, but increasing interdependence and unity within the community. As we've read, he, he uses this language constantly of unity and that, you know, one baptism, one faith, one, one, one. And what we just read, he, he speaks of it as building up the body till, it, till we attain unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. He describes our maturity as the whole body joined together, reliant on each other, bound to one another like body parts are bound to each other through ligaments and rely upon one another. And see, if you notice in this passage that, that, that maturity is so, and growth is so bound together in community that he doesn't speak about maturity as individual thing, but he speaks of it collectively. It's not you have community and bound together that, so that each and every one of you can become mature on your own, but he says so that the body might be mature. And I want to make a little note that this is why I think there are so many strong warnings throughout the New Testament for those who would assume to be elders or clergy. We see in this passage, he lays out certain gifts that were given for those who are called to focus their energy and efforts on the, the ministry to the ministers, to the church. But the reason that, that I think those warnings are, are given is, is because... That was their focus, was to create a place to equip the ministers for ministry and that we would grow together in unity and maturity. But so often, sadly, that ends up not the case. Sometimes it does become a place that harms instead of helps. Some have endured and walked through some very painful realities in the name of church and community. Sometimes the church can devolve into something that destroys the very thing that it's supposed to foster. I mean, that's hard. There's no easy answer. But 
do want to say that the answer is not adopting a mentality of independence and autonomy. Because our telos, our nature and goal, true healthy maturity is to be bound to each other and unified interdependent community. So we have maturity and the need for community now the source of unified community. So even though that we are made for unity with each other and rich interdependent community, it doesn't mean that unity and community are goods in and of themselves. And even though we are created for community and need community, it doesn't mean that we're able to create the community that we need. It's interesting to me because it seems that more often than not, when we set out to create a utopian community, it often leads to destroying the very thing that we set off to create. And if you guys remember John Lennon's poetic manifesto of his vision for united global community that was written in Imagine. Probably know the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no country. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. It sounds nice. I mean, who doesn't want a united global community that is in peace and harmony with each other? The only problem is, is that what lies behind this vision, this utopian picture of a unified global community, is that it has to come, it will come about, as you see, by everyone believing what he believes. And valuing what he values and placing unity above everything else, above country, above, above religion, and above anything else. That, that in essentially, that the world would be one if everyone just became like me. And this is how this usually plays out then. It's because you've got to deal with all the people who are stubbornly rejecting your vision of unity. Or what happens when they value something higher than what you value about community and because of their values, they won't join into your unified vision for unity. Well, you got to deal with those people, don't you? And eventually, you gotta, you find, you kind of got to get rid of them because they keep messing up community. And this is how Lenin's vision can begin to resemble the reality of the Soviet dictator with a similar sounding last name. See, the community we need, as described by Paul, is not a goal that we achieve or a good in itself, but is a gift and a byproduct. Look with me at verse 13 and verse 15. Verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
In the second part of 15, then he says that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See, our union with each other is the byproduct of our union to Christ who is our head. See, Jesus is the source of our community. He is what defines the trajectory toward which we are heading. Our collective telos, the reality we are growing into, is not internally defined, welling up from within ourselves, but externally given. It is becoming like Christ. And because we are bound together by something greater than community, real unity and community can actually begin to thrive. Because we're not holding on to it so tightly that we begin to suffocate it. Because we're knit together, not because we feel a deep need to be together, but because of something greater. We're knit together because we all have been united to Christ through the same gospel. So be honest. It's a little bit helpful. Because I like most of these guys. Some of you... But the reality is, you know, most of you guys are good people, you know, like I like to chill with you anyways. (laughs) But see, the thing is, is that we are not bound together because we have similar likes, similar personalities, similar hobbies, political views, the same socioeconomic class or because we we have the same backgrounds or into the same music. No. We are united because we have been purchased with the same blood and partakers of the same gospel. Early in this passage, after Paul calls the church to maintain unity of the spirit, and I want to note something real quick. If you notice at the beginning of the passage, he says maintain the unity. He doesn't say create the unity. As if unity was something that was already pre-given. He recites an early confession, or at least what most scholars believe to be an early confession that the early church would have recited during their liturgy. Reminding them that they are one because they share one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And similarly, that's, that's why we recite the Nicene Creed after the sermon. And it's been a practice of the church for a very, 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 very long time. Because I know that most of you guys showed up because you heard I was preaching. (laughs) But that's not right. (laughs) No, see, we say the Nicene Creed after the sermon because there's, there's, it should be a reminder to us that we're not a cult of personality. And the fact is, is if you hate my sermon today, and disagree with most of everything I say. It's a reminder that nonetheless, we might have some disagreements, but we're not united around some preacher's ideas. We're united around the core faith that has been passed down to us from the apostles themselves. And so it's a reminder of whatever that dude just said, this is what we believe. This is what binds us together. And so we have maturity and the need for community. We have the real true source of community. And finally, 
the environment that fosters community. Verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, these things, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. I mean, they, they're distinct kind of virtues of community, but they also are marks of what love is. Most everybody has probably been to a wedding in which somebody read 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind. You know, describing the same thing. And, and, and what I find really interesting in this, this passage is that, that he speaks of that. He says then, bearing with one another in love. Now the Greek word for bearing here can also be translated putting up with or enduring. Actually, this phrasing is used elsewhere by Paul to speak about how we relate to those who are persecuting us. See, our unity together, our, our, our community in and, and, and love, and this kind of love-built community is not the type of love-built community that you think of with maybe like a 1960s hippie commune, where we pretend like everything is all good, like I like everybody, peace and happiness, kumbaya, you know, and we just sit around and, and chill together and everything is good. That's not even the picture that he's saying because he's saying that we are to endure one another and, and bear with one another in love. And to be able to say that means that there's going to be tension. It's assumed. But see, the, the love that he's talking about is much richer and deeper. Verses 15 through 16, Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 